All right, we are continuing together our study on the subject of religious worship from chapter 22 of our Confession of Faith. We are dealing with paragraph one, which deals with the regulative principle of worship, or the principle by which worship is regulated. And of course, the principle by which worship is regulated is the Word of God. And we have seen uh, in our studies together that... um, Uh, Nothing is acceptable in worship to God uh, unless it is specifically authorized. So it is the prerogative of God alone to determine the terms upon which sinners may approach him in worship. And he declares this prerogative in the second commandment when he says, here's how I don't want to be worshipped. Don't make images. Don't bow down to them. Don't... uh, give obeisance to them or attempt to have a relationship with me through them. And so um, the second commandment stipulates that God is the one who decides how he is to be worshipped and what worship is acceptable to him. Uh, We have seen that extra biblical principles introduced into the worship of God eventually wind up uh, nullifying and replacing God's approved worship. Then last time we saw that the wisdom of Christ and the sufficiency of Scripture are called into question when we add elements to worship that are not ordained by them. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished to every good work. So the Scriptures thoroughly furnish us to every good work that we need to do and therefore we do not need to add to scriptural instruction our own ideas about the work of worship and how it needs to be carried out. Now today, we want to look at a fourth principle uh, that uh, would uh, teach us that nothing is acceptable unless it is specifically authorized. And that fourth principle that we want to look at that supports that assertion that our confession makes is this. The Bible explicitly condemns all worship not commanded by God. The Bible explicitly condemns all worship not commanded by God. And so we saw in our previous three principles um, things that would indicate to us that this uh, exclusive regulative principle is the biblical norm uh, and now we come to this fourth principle that states it um, with, with finality. Now, when God told to us in Deuteronomy 12 and verse 32, don't add anything to my worship, don't take anything away from my worship, what he was saying in essence is do only what I tell you to do. Now, what we want to do today is look at Leviticus chapter 10. And this is the story of the two sons of Aaron, both of whom were priests, and uh, both of whom uh, were authorized as priests to approach the tabernacle and enter into the tabernacle and do the things that were supposed to be done uh, in the tabernacle. But the trouble with these two men is that they were offering to God... um, an act of worship, which he had not uh, authorized. 
Uh, Notice, if you will, Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. It says, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord. Now notice the next phrase, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said unto Aaron, This is that the Lord spoke, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come near me, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Now, the problem here is that the fire that was supposed to go into the tabernacle and there be used in the worship of God was supposed to come from the altar outside. And so they had the altar of, of uh, sacrifice, the, you know, the brazen altar that was outside, and that's where they did the sacrifice. And it was that fire specifically then that they were to put in their censers and they were to take into the tabernacle and, and, and put their incense on that. Well, they apparently went and got some fire from somebody's campfire or something and took that fire in because maybe they didn't want to start up the fire on the brazen altar or who knows what was going on. But the point is they brought in to God an act of worship which God had not specifically authorized. And notice what is said here. It says, it doesn't say that this fire was forbidden. It says specifically, it was that which he commanded them not. And so it wasn't like God says, you know, use the fire off the altar. Oh, and by the way, any other fire is unacceptable. He didn't say that. He just said, use the fire off the altar. And so they were following the inclusive principle, regular principle of worship. And they said, well, God hasn't forbidden us to use some other fire. True, he commanded us to use this fire, but he didn't forbid us to use this other fire, so we'll use it. And they brought it in. And the express ground of the condemnation was not that he had forbidden this other fire, but that they were not using the fire which he had commanded. And so the principle that we uh, have set forth is that nothing is acceptable unless it is specifically authorized. And what God is saying here is, look, I did not command you to worship me in this fashion. You came up with this on your own. And he doesn't say, by the way, you offered the fire which I forbade you to offer. There's no indication that he forbade them. He's just saying, you're going outside of what I specifically authorized. And so this is one of the clearest declarations of God's attitude towards the whole issue of worship and the seriousness with which he takes it. His attitude towards worship is you do only what I have commanded and you don't add anything to it. And what they were doing is they were adding to the worship of God, their own method, their own ideas, their own practice. And of course, how seriously did God take this? He struck them dead. 
Um, and so uh, when Aaron found out about this, I mean, he was their dad, okay? And, and Moses went to Aaron and he said, this is that which the Lord spoke, saying, I will be sanctified in those who come near to me. And in all the people, I will be glorified. In other words, he's saying, in my worship, you don't mess with me. You do exactly what I command you, and you don't add your own stuff to what I've commanded you. And if you do, I take tremendous offense at it, and I bring judgment to bear upon it. Because it's God's intention that, above all else, his worship not be perverted. Because once you start induce, introducing human things into worship, where do you stop? And then worship becomes about us and our ideas instead of about God and his pleasure and his desires. Now, this same principle is enunciated in the New Testament. And let's turn to Colossians chapter 2. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul is addressing the uh, perversion of worship that um, was being introduced by these um, legalistic, Gnostic um, teachers that had invaded the church at Colossae. And uh, he says, beginning in verse 18, "...let no man beguile you of your reward." in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. So he's saying, don't let somebody try to drag you into some form of worship that God has not authorized or commanded. Verse 19, and not holding the head or clinging fast to the head from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered and knit together, increases with the increase of God. In other words, you've got to hold to cling to Christ and to his directions. Um, verse 20, Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances? And now he lists some of them, touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using notice after the doctrines and commandments of men. Now, the problem is, is that these false teachers were introducing forms and methods of worship and of uh, behavior and sanctification and stuff that were self-invented. They were not those things which God had commanded or those things which God had forbidden. And, and then the, the key verse, of course, is verse 23. Which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship or worship that proceeds from the human will is the idea and so they come with their human wills and they say oh you know we have these ideas about worship and let us introduce them to you and they seem to have a show of wisdom angels yeah those are exalted beings by all means let's worship them and and, you know, we would certainly be more holy if we, you know, took away things that would, would comfort the flesh. Um, and so, 
uh, let's uh, sit on unpadded pews in an unheated building and uh, whatever, okay, to be more holy, you know, uh, the idea of the denying of the indulgence or the satisfaction of the human senses. And so he's saying this is will worship or worship that proceeds out of the human will, which man himself devises. And then the second half of this verse is, is an unfortunate translation in the King James. Uh, the construction is difficult in the Greek. Uh, verse 23, it says in the King James, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship or worship that proceeds from the will and humility and neglecting of the body. That's straightforward enough. Now, this last phrase is the difficult one, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. And this could be translated two ways. It could be translated with the idea, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. This, this humility of saying, oh, you know, I need to bow down before angels. This neglecting of the body, touch not, taste not, handle not. Those things uh, have... Uh, are, are, he's saying, are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. In other words, they have no sanctifying benefits. Or it could be translated, are of no value serving only to indulge the flesh, which I rather think is, is, is the idea here in that um, will worship indulges the flesh in that it panders to the pride of man. Okay? And so when we have worship that proceeds out of our own will and we invent these things, oh, you know, let's humble down before angels and oh, let's deny ourselves um, this or that uh, sensual satisfaction, um, we can think that this is going to make us even more holy, okay? And what he's saying is that those things are of no value. All they do is stoke your pride. That is, all they do is serve to indulge the flesh, or to satisfy the flesh. Um, clearly, what Paul is saying here is, look, these people have introduced stuff into worship. They have demanded that things be removed from, from worship and practice. And he's saying these things just proceed out of the human will. And uh, all they do is serve to indulge the flesh, that is, the pride of man. So, um, you know, what Paul was saying is that you've got to understand that uh, humanly devised forms of worship and asceticism uh, are both inappropriate. We need to cling to the head, who is Jesus, and that's the alternative. Notice, if you will, verse uh, 19, and from him... Uh, all the body by joints and bands have nourishment ministered and knit together. So we need to look to Christ and from him flows all that we need for his worship and service and for our Christian lives. So uh, the Bible then explicitly condemns all worship not commanded by God. Now, I want to go on and, and provide a qualification, and we've talked about this before on a couple of occasions, and the qualification is this, is that God regulates the essence of worship, but he does not regulate the circumstances of worship. That is left to the light of nature and Christian prudence. Now turn, please, in your confession of faith to chapter 1 in paragraph 6.
And what we have here is a declaration of the sufficiency of Scripture, all right? But we also have a declaration that the Scriptures are not exhaustive in every detail. Now understand the difference. The Scriptures are sufficient for all we need, but they're not exhaustive in every detail. Now notice paragraph 6. The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, his own worship, of course, man's salvation, faith and life, is either, is either expressly set down or necessarily contained in the Holy Scripture, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelation of spirit or traditions of men. Nevertheless, here's the qualification. We acknowledge the inward illumination of the Spirit of God to be necessary for the saving understanding of such things as are revealed in the Word. And that there are some circumstances concerning the worship of God and government of the church common to human actions and societies which are to be ordered by the light of nature and Christian prudence according to the general rules of the word which are always to be observed. So there are some circumstances concerning the worship of God, okay, which are to be ordered by the light of nature and Christian prudence. Now, notice the word circumstances. Not essence, not substance, but circumstances. So, for example, the New Testament tells us that we are to um, sing hymns. But it doesn't say if we're to use a, use a hymnal or not use a hymnal. It doesn't say whether we're to stand up or whether we're to sit down. It doesn't say whether we're to employ an instrument or to sing a cappella. These are all the circumstances of worship. The essence of worship is that we are to sing. Okay? And so it is with all of the other elements, uh, with, with preaching, with um, prayer, with scripture reading. It doesn't tell us how much scripture reading to do. Do we do one chapter? Do we do ten chapters? Um, it, it doesn't tell us that. And so we use the light of nature and Christian prudence uh, to, to regulate those things. And uh, it's the same way. Do we meet at 10 in the morning? Do we meet at 11 in the morning? Um, do we meet twice in the day for two services? Do we have one long service that lasts all day long? Um, those things are left to uh, prudence, Christian prudence and, and the light of nature. But that we have preaching is, is uh, of the essence of worship. It's, we must have it. And, and that we have singing, and that we have prayer, and that we have scripture reading, that we have baptism, that we have the Lord's Supper. For example, the Lord's Supper, do we do it every week? Do we do it uh, every time we meet, Sunday morning and Sunday night? Do we do it once every two weeks, once a month? Um, those things are left to the light of nature and to Christian prudence. So with reference to the essence of worship, God regulates that with reference to the circumstances of worship, whether we do it standing or sitting, God leaves that to us. So that then is the qualification, and we have to be sure that we're not taking some custom and elevating it to the level of a regulative principle. But we also must be careful that we don't take the regulative principles 
and bend them around just to fit somebody's idea of what custom uh, consists of. So the point is we must have a specific mandated, uh, pardon me, a specific scriptural mandate for our conduct in worship from God before we may safely proceed with that conduct. And so man is a sinner. Man will pervert God's worship and therefore proper worship cannot be determined by man but must be determined by God alone. There is a passage in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 12 in which God is speaking to Israel about her worship. And he says to her, Who has required this of your hand? And he's saying, What are you offering this stuff to me for? I didn't ask you to do this. I didn't command you to do this. And I didn't require you to do this. Take it away from me. Who required this at your hands? And so God is clearly saying there, the only worship that I receive is worship that I required of you. And if I haven't required it of you, I don't want it. So you can't go home and say, well, you know, I really want to show my devotion to God, so I'll build this little God shelf and... You know, I'll prop a Bible up there and I'll have a couple candles there. Every day I'll come in and, and bow before the Word of God to show my reverence to God. You can't do that. You must not do that. That's an offense to God. He hasn't required it of you. So the point is about worship is that we must do all that God requires, but only what God requires in order to be sure that we're giving Him the worship that is uh, acceptable in his sight. We won't, don't want to commit the sin of Nadab and Abihu. We don't want to commit the sin of Cain, uh, both of whom brought before God worship that was, in fact, an offense to him uh, and, and angered him. All right, any questions or comments? Scott? It's a little complicated. In the, in the Old Covenant, when people sin, Right. And with all the trappings of what, the temple and all the good stuff they had there. And now I see that Christ fulfilled that. And so now we have confession of our sins to Christ. And, and, and so like he's the altar that we come before in, in repentance and confession. And, and it takes place without this physical altar, this physical temple and the intermediary of, of a priest, it's Christ is our mediator between us and the Father. And, but, but you can't see any of this. There's right. nothing physical there, and you can see how people are, are, are wanting to go back to want not something they can put their hands on. They can see, taste, touch. Right. Whatever. Right. And it is just as simple as just confession and repentance before Christ at, at the altar of Yeah, it's spiritual, it's inward, it's invisible, and it's unseen. And that's why it's so frustrating to people who are not genuinely saved because, you know, spiritually they're dead. And so that whole system doesn't work. And that's why they're always looking for something external. And that's why, um, you know, they always want a golden calf. They want a God they can see, they can touch, they can feel. Um, 
and that they can relate to in the realm of the flesh. Because what you're talking about can only happen in the inner man, and that's only works when you can worship God in spirit because you're spiritually alive. And if you're not, then it, it all becomes so much, uh, you know, you guys are all just sitting in this pew and, you know, you do a lot of listening and yeah, you sing a song, but uh, boy, not much going on here. Not much for me to do as I sit in the pew. Well, the answer to that is there's a great deal of heart interaction for you to be doing all the time you're sitting in the pew, which, you know, I mean, if you're paying attention, you know, you're constantly having your heart and your mind challenged to interact with God and the inner man as you're hearing the scripture read and as you're singing the hymns and as you're participating in the prayer that's being led and as you're listening to the preaching. Uh, when I sit in the church service, my inner man is going a million miles an hour, <laughs> Um, and I'm a busy boy, even though externally, you know, I appear to be just sitting still. I mean, if it wasn't for the, for the teaching that the youth set forth in worship and whatnot, I wouldn't have seen the contrast. But I, I was at the community chapel. Uh, we, we had one of our AA meetings there. And, and afterwards, this guy walked me into their sanctuary, and there's this big stage up front. And he commenced to show me how they had a great sound system. And over here is where the guitar player is, and, and he just this the greatest guitar player. And over here is the drummer, and all his drums, and he says, "Oh, just blow you away, the drummer." And, 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 and he said, "Right here, there's three women always right there." He said, "They're just the prettiest women." And, and he's painting this picture for me. And I'm just sitting there eating it up. I'm thinking, "Wow, that would be cool." But all of a sudden, it was like the the reality of a set sin. This is exactly what you talk about. This is for the flesh. It yeah. Has nothing to do with the spirit. Right. Nothing whatsoever to do with. With God and the Spirit. Yeah. Dave, go ahead. Um, in chapter 11, Leviticus 10, we actually have a story of four sons that rebelled against God. And when I parallel those two stories, the one of Nadab and Abihu, with Eliezer and Ithamar, um, see God dealing with Aaron's four rebellious sons differently. The first two have chosen to consciously establish Eliezer and Ithamar respond in disobedience because they are fearful of doing something wrong and therefore they disobey the form or the command that God has given. Um, they were supposed to eat Eliezer and Mith, uh, Mith, uh, the other brother, um, Ithamar, right. they were supposed to eat the sin offering inside the holy place, and they chose not to. Aaron, Moses is very angry at this. They have disobeyed God's direct command about how to worship him concerning the sin offering. But nowhere do we find God being angry with these two men. We have Moses being angry, and he confronts Aaron, the father. And Aaron says, his answer is, uh, I think it's in verse 19, um, that their concern, these men did not obey God because of what happened to the other two brothers. They were fearful that they too would be struck dead. And I see some people 
not participating in the Lord's Supper because they're fearful that God's judgment will come on them, and so they abstain. And I think often that abstinence is the same kind of ignorance that these two men had. Once Moses heard the fear that was genuine of offending God, even though their, their offense was disobedience, it was understandable, and God was gracious, and, and Moses allowed that disobedience to go by. Obviously, he corrected it, and they didn't transgress again, but it was an ignorant disobedience to, we don't want to... Yeah, it wasn't a willful, defiant rebellion like, like with Nadab and Abihu, yeah. They, they were just afraid, Lord, we do not want to offend you. Let's don't eat. Yeah. Right. Well, that's the wrong thing. Yeah, yeah. So, so not all transgressions in worship are treated the same way. Some transgressions in worship are treated more severely than others because of the motive behind those transgressions and the degree of knowledge and light that they're sinning against with reference to. And I think the way we deal with our disobedience or other Christians' disobedience in worship has to be flavored with not tolerance, but with the understanding that there may be Right. 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 Yeah, because the teaching on worship nowadays is is pathetic. It, it's it's very inaccurate, Max. Um, I was just going to say a little bit in addition to what Scott said too. You know, there are lots of verses in the Bible about uh, how difficult it is to control your your thoughts and your emotions and your you know reactions to to things. You know. He that rules the spirit is greater than he that takes the city. You know, it's being much, much harder to control one's mind than it is to control one's body. And that's why, you know, with Catholicism and a, and a lot of these religions, they, they really try hard to revert back to, you know, you do A, B, and C, you're good to go. Right. Without any reference to, to what one does with one's heart. Being much, much less work to do something where, you know, you crawl upstairs on your knees or you've done this or, you, you know, you were saying about sitting in hard pews and dunking your own you go or whatever. Much, much easier to do that and let your mind go blank than it is to sit here and think about, you know, what my problem is in terms of this and how can I solve that problem this week. Yeah. And then, you know, Monday morning roll around and try and do something about it, you know. And, uh, with reference to, to fixing your behavior, your attitude, your, your stubbornness, or your, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, it's, it's like Jesus said, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. It's way easier to, to worship in the flesh than it is to worship in the spirit. Yeah. It's way easier to engage the body than it is to engage repentance, for example. Yeah, and, and that's why you would feel like a place is dead if you are not engaging in that. Right. Work. Right. Right, yeah. And that's why, you know, as the level of spirituality and biblical understanding goes down in our age, you see the level of this external physical uh, supplements, man introduced supplements to worship increasing, you know, in proportion. Yeah, good. Well, our time is gone. Um, let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that you have given us the privilege of worship. And we thank you, Father, that you've given us instruction in worship. And Lord, we pray that our worship would never arise out of our own wills, that there would be no will worship, but that there would be worship according to your will, 
and that, Father, we would cling to our head, the Lord Jesus, and find from him the instruction and direction that we need for New Testament, New Covenant worship. Father, I pray that you would guide us into a right understanding of worship so that all of our worship would be acceptable in your sight and pleasing to your name. Lord, where we are ignorant or misinformed, we pray that you would forgive us. Where we are deficient, we ask that you would supply us with knowledge and understanding as we go through the remainder of this chapter in our confession. Lord, continue to illuminate our minds that we might grasp the meaning and true significance uh, of worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.